You're listening to Theo Live, a live YouTube stream podcast hosted by me, Dean Lentini. Every week, I try to give you biblical theology for normal people. If you're interested in hopping into the conversation, you can catch us live every Monday on my YouTube channel. Link in the show notes. Now let's get into it. Hey, welcome to Theo Live episode 40. I think it's 40 now. That's pretty cool. I'm just I'm just looking up one little thing. I had a little bit of a hard time getting things going today. Mostly because it's summer and the kids are at home and mom's at work and dad wants to stream and it's all it's 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 chaos over here. Uh today we're talking about fundamentalism again and I think I'm going to do this in a couple different episodes because well, me and my wife had a, a Theo Live, I don't know, it was like in October or something. It was pretty early on when I first started these things. And um, we went into our story of coming out of fundamentalism. And I I think, like, I wanted to do it a little bit differently. But sometimes, you know, when you're in the moment and you're having a conversation, it doesn't go exactly the way that you had planned and so we didn't really deal with a lot of the theology of fundamentalism uh, mostly just dealt with our own stories and there was theology in there that we were talking about some of our issues and why we came out of it and in some ways you know pushed out um but you know it's all right it's all good so i've got more of these things i can do so i figured hey you know what i'm going to talk about this thing because i had an episode about a month ago when I talked about the rise of like almost like this resurgence of fundamentalism and uh, at least me looking out at evangelicalism, looking at the, the landscape, I'm seeing a lot more of fundamentalist ideologies that are just everywhere. And some other people who come from a different background aren't necessarily seeing that. And so I want to spend a little bit of time showing why I say that and not just of, Oh, that person, you know, where's that or, uh, says you can't say that, you know, it's, it goes deeper than these surfacey kind of things. Um, but you know, there's also this problem that a lot of people are facing, not just of, okay, it's out there, but they're wondering for themselves whether they're in a fundamentalist church, whether they're in a fundamentalist environment and what do they do about that and how can they actually figure it out? Because sometimes, you know, when a guy gets up and he's like just yelling about the King James Bible, uh, it's pretty easy to tell that guy's a fundamentalist. But what about the times when they, they seem so normal? They, they talk with you and you're friends with them. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be friends with fundamentalists, by the way. They're not like the big boogeyman out, you know, just scaring everybody and you have to run for your life. That's not exactly what I'm saying. Although it's not not what I'm saying. <laughs> so take that for what you want. Um, but, you know, these guys are there. Men and women are there. And they have these rules and regulations. And they make it seem... Like it's so scriptural, like it, like it's like this really like holy thing and that everyone else is wrong and we're here and we're like almost like this one true church kind of mentality. 
and that you are with us and we're on the good side. You know, we're, we're the few, the proud, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's like the army basically. But, uh, I want to deal with a little bit of that because I know that a lot of my audience has come out, uh, of different levels of fundamentalism and, uh, or maybe they're thinking through these things because they're deconstructing and, uh, that that's been a huge aspect of my channel. And honestly, like looking at it over the last couple of years, like it's been a lot of my story as well. You know, um, a couple years ago, like let, let me, let me zoom out for a moment, give you a little bit of my backstory. Uh, maybe you didn't catch that stream. It was months ago and, uh, you know, the channel was a lot smaller also. Oh, let me go over here. I'm just all over the place today, but that's kind of how this show works. Uh, we, I, I just passed 1500 subscribers. That's really cool. Uh, and next week I'm hoping, you know, this week, you know, we get a few more people coming in and, uh, it could be 1517. That's, that's what I want. And next week I'll, I'll tell a little bit of my story about coming out of it theologically for myself coming out of fundamentalism and embracing more of those reformed ideologies that were always there. And that's, that's really where my story is because as I've said a couple times on this channel, I came out of, or at least I was raised in a, a very odd church, just theologically, you know, um, people maybe no, a little bit, <laughs> there were some good people. Um, but, uh, I was raised in this like reformed, like they were reformed in their soteriology, but they were still very fundamentalistic in how they viewed other aspects. Like they were hardcore dispensational and that's going to be a huge part of this. And I'll explain it in a little while. Um, but they were hardcore dispensationalists, but also they were reformed in their soteriology essentially Looking back, I didn't see it at the time, even though my pastor was constantly quoting John MacArthur. Um, I didn't I didn't really see it until just a few years ago of like, oh, it's just the same kind of church as John MacArthur's church, uh, as Grace Community Church. And like if you like John MacArthur and his preaching, that's one thing that's fine. I used to quite a bit until recent things have happened. Um but looking back now, I can kind of see a little bit better, um, you know, and like having gone to school and all of that, like you, you think I would have seen this a lot earlier, but it's really hard when you're in it or when you have emotions attached to things to be able to see them for what they really are. And, and so I was raised in this kind of grace community church kind of a church uh, where they were fundamental about a lot of different things, not connected to a denomination. Um, and not really connected to any other church, to be honest, like there, like there were even family members that were in leadership at other churches and we didn't fellowship with them. We didn't fellowship with like anybody. Um, and now I, now I understand that a little bit more, uh, because we were always looking out and saying, everyone else is wrong about this. They're wrong about that. And we are correct on all these things. Uh, and you know, the Calvinistic leanings, um, all of that. It was a huge part of it. So I went off to Bible college and I went to a fundamentalist school. That's where Heather and I met. Uh, that school was so small that we shut down my sophomore year. I ended up finishing at not, I, I'd, I like they had 
backgrounds in fundamentalism, um, but I wouldn't have called it a fundamentalist school. And they actually had like a breaking off while I was there. Really weird. Oh man, stories I could tell of students thinking that they're like really smart and part of something and like leading this charge. The school basically split while I was there and they started like basically a fundamentalist school and uh, at least in my my thinking, uh, a pretty normal Baptist institution. So I graduated from that normal Baptist institution, ended up getting not just my bachelor's, but my uh, master's in ministry, master's of divinity through that institution, because uh, it was a undergrad and a grad school in one. Um, fully accredited, by the way, just throwing it out there for people who's like, oh, he just went to a fundamentalist school. It was accredited. Um, so uh, did all that got going in fundamentalist churches in ministry. Uh, and all the while I was thinking like, I'm not one. <laughs> like those are those guys. I'm not a fundamentalist. Uh, they're crazy. They don't want to listen to the radio. Uh, they're having arguments about King James Bibles. They, they, none of the guys that I ran with were like King James only guys, but they were all having the arguments constantly about the King James Bible and looking at at the time I was like, ah, they're just, you know, they're just a little weird, <laughs> but, uh, there was a little bit more going on to that. So those were the circles that I ran in. Uh, and then coming up here, started working with my mentor who was very much a fundamentalist, although he said he wasn't. And I began to see, oh, this is what it means to be a fundamentalist. Because a lot of people, when they think about fundamentalists, they think, of these books right over here. I have them. They're in storage. They're deep in storage. Like they're not good enough for me to like really dig out. Just being honest. <laughs> but uh, these books right here of the fundamentals and uh, what these books are, just to give you just a tiny bit of history before we start getting into what I think is the more interesting stuff. Um, but I think it was 1909. Uh, R.A. Torrey and a bunch of other guys uh, wrote these letters because they saw, they were looking at Christianity, North American Christianity, uh, well, some British uh, Christianity as well, I, I, Western civilization, I guess, uh, Western Christianity. They were looking at it and saying, oh, German higher criticism, it's come in, and we're looking at scripture as, um, you know, not inspired. That's what they were arguing, that people, these liberals were out here and they were interpreting scripture as allegorical, specifically with Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, and they were interpreting it through that lens. And with that comes all kinds of liberalism. So uh, they started writing these letters. Now, I will admit that there was a leaning toward liberalist ideas uh, specifically when it comes to miraculous events in the Bible, and specifically the New Testament. Um, things like the virgin birth, things like uh, the bodily resurrection of Christ was uh, being debated. Now, what fundamentalists would like you to think is that everybody was questioning these things. And that's just not accurate. If you do any history, like go back, read about these times, it was not like this, like I was always taught that it was like this, this really stark contrast between, uh, evangelicals 
and fundamentalists. And that the fundamentalists were saying, hey, we're taking the Bible literally. And the evangelicals were saying, hey, uh, you know, some of it is literal, sometimes it's not, and, you know, all these different things. And so there was this split that supposedly happened. Honestly, there wasn't that much of a split. I mean, some of these denominations actually did end up splitting, uh, but mostly independent Baptists just continued to be independent. And they were just more militant about it um, when you actually look into the history of it. And so um, so they, they said that fundamentalism is about this. And that's why they call themselves fundamentalists. The problem with that is that actually quite a few evangelicals at that time would have agreed with the fundamentals. Um, even like I showed a clip in my last one, couldn't find it this morning on my iPad. Um, but, um, a famous British preacher, um, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, he, he gave this interview when he was talking about fundamentalism and he was like, no, I'm a conservative evangelical. And he believes, you know, look at his writings, look at even how a lot of people who I'm going to call fundamentalists today, uh, would love to claim him and say, oh, he's just like me, uh, when it comes to all these different aspects of his theology. And he would, I don't think he would have it. He would not have it, <laughs> but they would love to claim him. Um, but he had an interview where he was saying, I'm a conservative evangelical. And there were many more just like him who would have fit into this camp of being, being evangelical and still holding fast to a lot of these things that the fundamentals said, like the, the liberals don't agree with. Uh, also, just a side note, I always bring this up when people are talking about the fundamentals. Uh, that there were a bunch of Calvinists who wrote in these fundamentals. And uh, now, nowadays, fundamentalists, at least the vast majority of the older, more traditional, I guess, fundamentalists, uh, they would say, you know, Calvinism is heresy. I know that because I've literally heard that from the pulpit a week before I preached about Calvinism. The next week, uh, we had... Uh, a certain person that I won't say his name, uh, an evangelist come in and preach on the heresy of Calvinism. So that was great. That was really fun. Um, but that's, that's my background. I know, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to fundamentalism, maybe some other things, you know, I'm not an expert on, um, you know, I have to learn, you know, one of the things about being I, w I don't really consider myself a theologian. I'm not smart enough. I don't have, you know, the degrees like Wyatt Graham was here uh, last week. And that was a great interview, by the way. Go back and watch that after the stream. Uh, but he's got like 19 degrees and, you know, super smart. That guy is a theologian. Here on my channel, I do casual theology, okay? Uh, pastoral <laughs> theology. Um, but that being said, you know, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to this subject. Maybe other ones I have to really study. That's part of being a theologian in any sense of the word is you have to study hard and figure out what things mean uh, and do research. Uh, this one, I kind of know, uh, like the back of my hand, um, because I lived it. And so I'm going to be bringing up some things that maybe you haven't thought about as far as fundamentalism. And I want you to just ask yourself whether that applies to what you've experienced. Yes, we're talking about experience today. And I know that's like super scary for some of you. Um, but 
I want you to think about your own experience and whether you can say, oh, yeah, that's that's that pastor that I met who was at that hardcore church that I didn't end up you know, going to. Or maybe you're looking at it and you're saying like, yeah, that's kind of my experience I'm going through right now at my church. And it's hard and it's painful. I want you to ask yourself whether these things are going to be applying to you. Uh, but I always, of course, because it is a live stream and I love doing live streams, I do want to interact with you guys. Also, uh, just a few things. Uh, there's a podcast. Uh, I talked about it a little bit last episode, but there is a podcast. If you're interested in not seeing my face again, it's super offensive. I spent a lot of money on lighting and I work really hard to make it look good. But you know, if you just want to listen to the microphone, which is like the cheapest thing that I have because my nice microphone is off getting fixed. Um, I guess I guess that's fine. I made I made a podcast for you, okay? <laughs> uh, it's fine. If you want to go and listen just to the podcast, uh, go for it. Theo Live on pretty much any platform at this point. I think it's pretty much everywhere. Joe Thorne was here, and he was texting me. And uh, he, he's, he loves that I talked about fundamentalism. <laughs> so, Fundine Mentalist. Um, it's not his best one. There are other ones that he came up with, but I'll, I'll leave that between us. Uh, Michael liked that. Um, also, okay. I was late. I was like four minutes late. I got three kids to watch. Okay. And, and, and do streaming. You try it. You try it. You know, <laughs> I'm not touchy about it. Uh, the first love club, uh, cool countdown as usual. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Sarah's here. Good afternoon. Seems like an interesting topic. I hope it is. Um, I, I know that a lot of people on my channel are very interested in the idea of fundamentalism because they see it. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about it. Um, interesting in Alistair Begg not being a fundamentalist, according to the thumbnail. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to say I'm going to die on those hills of like in the thumbnail. I put some pictures up. It's more of just to get you to come in and have the conversation. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm not going to die on those hills, but it is accurate to what I think. I'll just say that. Uh, Jim. And he was here earlier and left a comment too. I was going to get to this. Uh, please define the term fundamentalist and what you mean by it. I hear it thrown around a lot today in what seems to be a pejorative sense like socialist or misogynist in political discourse. Uh, that's a really good point, Jim. It's very important for us to define the term. So uh, those people who would say that fundamentalist means adhering to these are wrong. Um, because like I said, other evangelicals, uh, they like the other side, the liberals, a lot of them would have agreed with a lot of this stuff and they did. Uh, they just chose not to be fundamentalist. So that definition doesn't work even, even in a historical setting. Like a lot of people today would be like, uh, the, the people that are at IFB churches. And that's specifically what I'm meaning when I'm referring to the past in fundamentalism. Um, the IFB movement, independent fundamental Baptists. Um, but uh, a lot of those people, if you were to ask them today, are you a fundamentalist? They would say, no, no, of course not. You know, I don't, I, I like, they would say I'm, I'm historically a fundamentalist. And even, even people today say that, but again, there were plenty of people who adhered to the doctrines in that and plenty of people who they took like these writings some of these people were dead, guys, uh, and they just took their writings and said, oh, fundamentalists, 
they didn't even get an option to say, hey, I disagree with the term. Okay, so uh, not everyone who's in the fundamentals is a fundamentalist. Uh, And a lot of people who were outside of the fundamentalist camp agreed with the fundamentals. So even historically, that definition doesn't work. But that's what a lot of people mean when they're talking about being a fundamentalist. They'll say, historically, I'm a fundamentalist because I agree with the core doctrines of the faith that are explained in the fundamentals. That being said, for me, when I look around and from what I've experienced in fundamentalist churches, um, and this isn't to say that they are the worst. Let me let me be clear, because I know a lot of people from my past. They love to check up on me and see what you know. What is Dean talking about? Uh, and is he talking trash about me? I'm not. Uh, but in my experience, a lot of fundamentalists who would say historically I'm a fundamentalist, but you know, as far as like how I do ministry, my theology, uh, not necessarily fundamentalist. I would consider myself, they use words like, uh, you know, just independent or unaffiliated is a word that often comes up. Um, and they're, they're describing that they are Baptists. They adhere to the Baptist distinctives, which are not very distinctive. If like a lot of people agree with those things and they aren't Baptists. Um, but, uh, but they, uh, adhere to the Baptist distinctives and they're unaffiliated. They don't want to be called fundamentalists because they've seen what's happened over the last 30 some odd years and probably a lot before then that wasn't really known or as public because of the internet. Um, but they don't want to be associated with a lot of like the militant kind of stances and, um, honestly, a lot of the hateful rhetoric that comes out of fundamentalist churches. Um, but so what I would say for being a fundamentalist is it has at least in some way militant beliefs that your preferences are primary. All right. That that's what it means to be uh, a fundamentalist. I do not believe that it is just about interpretation. There are people who will say that it's, it's just taking a literal interpretation of the Bible. I do not agree with that because even that idea, uh, you don't take the Bible literally everywhere. You just don't because there are different books that are different, uh, that are written differently. Like you don't interpret the gospels the same way that you do the book of Proverbs, right? Like it's common sense book of Proverbs. These are not like promises that will always happen. You know, uh, like all these different things about, you know, parenting, um, Finding my words around your neck and like all these different things of how things are going to, you know, work out great for a kid who is taught well. Well, plenty of parents could relate in saying like you did your best and you thought you did things right and that child just doesn't believe in God, right? Like even something as basic as that, not just of like success in life, um, but just that they're, they're not a Christian anymore. So those aren't promises. You, you can't take it literally in that way. Right. We all come to the Bible and we interpret. Uh, So I don't believe that it's just about a literal interpretation, but I believe that it is about the the attitude behind it, the attitude behind uh, um, the idea of believing something that you you see it, you you think that you agree with it. And then you take it just like a couple steps further and saying this is true for everyone. Um, and this is specifically about preferences. So the way that I would 
put it together is uh, if you look at it this way, all right, let's let's deal with some circles because that's that's what they do. <laughs> like there's there's a lot of circles and fundamentalism, a lot of different whiteboards, um, but sometimes it's really helpful. Uh, so let's let's talk about what is primary. Like what are the main things that you need to do that you need to believe in order to be a Christian? And I would say that those things would actually be there's it's few. It's a few things. Uh, it's not everything. You don't have to believe the entire Bible in order to be a Christian. Uh, that might sound like, oh, that doesn't sound right, but it's true, right? People, when they get saved, they don't understand the full context of the Bible. Uh, you, There are a few things. The gospel is what you need to know. So uh, I would put in this small circle is the gospel. And these are the primary things. These are the things that are most important. Now, the problem with fundamentalism is that they take this circle and they expand it and they expand it to the next circle. And they say, this is also primary. And in this next circle could be really important things like evolution. Someone can, I don't think that it's correct. Let me, let me say these things because it is the internet and people take you out of context all the time. I don't think that it is correct. I don't think that it is solid hermeneutics, but someone can interpret Genesis one through three as allegory and still believe in Jesus, still believe in his bodily resurrection, still believe in the gospel. All right. Now they have to do gymnastics when they get into Romans, but there's, there's all kinds of things attached to that. But someone can at base level believe in evolution and still be a Christian, but evolution would be something that's important, right? Like that's, that's really important. I would also say, uh, that, uh, different things like I'll, I'll, I'll put this, I, I like to be I like to grab your attention, <laughs> but even hell, uh, I believe would be part of the second tier that is super important. Maybe, maybe closer. All right. Closer to this one than maybe evolution, maybe evolution could go on this one. Um, but hell is something that you don't necessarily need to have the firmest grasp on. Uh, the way I would explain it is someone who, uh, like a kid wanders into a street, uh, they don't know the full threat of what is there if a car were to hit them, but someone saves them. You know, are they still saved from that threat? Yes. Did they fully understand the consequences of that threat? No. And that that's how I would explain the idea of hell as being not necessarily part of the gospel. They need to understand that there is punishment for sin, but they don't need to understand every every aspect of what hell is. They don't need to understand the differences with Sheol and all of that and Gehenna and do the whole study. They don't need to have that in order to understand the simple gospel. So while the doctrine of hell is something that we really need to be able to articulate well, it is not the primary. Now I know a lot, like when I, when I say that, I know a lot of people are like, what, 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 what? Um, but they need to know that there's punishment. 
right? That there's punishment for sin, that we need Jesus, that we are desperate for him. They need to understand all of that. So I would say that they need to understand that there is this looming, damning threat, but not necessarily every literal aspect of hell. Um, but they would say, a fundamentalist would say, of course. A fundamentalist would expand these things and say, no, you cannot believe in evolution and be a Christian. You cannot believe in X, Y, Z, all different kinds of things and, and still be a Christian. So they expand this circle and it just gets bigger and bigger and it takes over all these things. And then you get into other things like for a little bit, you know, you can listen to someone and say, oh, OK, I can understand where you're coming from and saying that, all right, you need to believe in a literal hell in order to be a Christian. A lot of people would actually agree with that. Um, but. So sometimes it sounds good, other times it sounds crazy. And that's where things like KJV only, or even I would just put it like KJV preferred. There's no reason. There's no reason to argue about the King James. There just isn't. There's no good arguments. Uh, a lot of these people who do make the arguments have never studied the original languages. So I don't even know why we listen to them. Um, but um, you know, they would say, all right, well, you gotta be King James only. Or, um, you know, we could even go credo baptism. Now, I'm a credo baptist. I'm a 1689 guy. I believe in the Second London Baptist Confession that it is, um, I, I believe that it explains the word of God in a clear way. Uh, so that's, that's what I adhere to. But I don't think that you have to be baptized as a believer in order to be saved. There are people who would say, if you do that, well, you need to be, you know, if you, if you are an infant, you were baptized as an infant, you need to be baptized as a believer. And if you're not, that shows your real heart and everything is like this attachment to, um, you know, your emotions. And so it just shows your true heart that you don't really believe the gospel. And all of a sudden this circle just becomes more and more primary. And that's what fundamentalism does. It expands its borders. It just goes further and further until all of a sudden you have to believe the exact same thing as me. And if you don't, you're not a Christian. And maybe they won't always say it that strongly. They won't say that you're not a Christian, but you're definitely not a mature Christian. That's a phrase that gets thrown around all the time. All right, you're not a mature Christian. You're not someone uh, who I can fellowship with, uh, that I can, you know, have in my life, all because they've expanded the borders of things that should have been, should have been secondary. Like you have the gospel in the middle, that's primary. You have secondary, you have third tier issues, and they've just expanded their borders over and over and over again in this militant attitude saying that you must adhere to what I believe. And if you don't, you are not a Christian. So that is what it means from my view. Now, if you have a different definition, that's one thing, but um, that's, that's what I believe a fundamentalist is and that's how i viewed it uh that's that's how i've experienced it is this expanding of borders making things primary and it's not always said so publicly and that's why i really want to talk about eight signs basically eight warning signs 
that you're dealing with a fundamentalist. Um, but before I do that, I do want to get in here. I know I've said a lot of controversial things, so let's let's see what you guys are saying. Uh, Genuine JC, make this a board game I would play. Yeah, I, I was thinking about doing like some kind of like lighting and stuff for like a like a game show. Uh, Wayne's here. Hey Theo, it's not my name. I don't care what John says. Um, seems like it's legalism with a Jesus stamp of approval. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I could get behind that. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> that's the Marines. Well, I've been in Canada for a long time. The few, the proud. Yeah. Uh, John Adams is here. He's alive. I hope you're feeling well, John. I know COVID, COVID knocks you out, man. So uh, glad you're here. Um, AP, some of these movements are like Christian Gnosticism. Secret knowledge saves you instead of being saved by grace through faith. You've got to have knowledge of the deeper things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I would agree with that. Uh, Chris from K-Town, say his name, LOL. I don't know what that's referring to. Uh, all seriousness, are you using fundamentalism and neo-fundamentalism interchangeably, casually, or do you differentiate between the two? Uh, I think that I answered that with giving my definition. Um, see, the thing that I see as I study history and as I've experienced what I have in and amongst uh, fundamentalist churches, the, the churches that I've been at, the fundamentalist churches where I've been at, have been very tame compared to what you probably would think of as the typical fundamentalist. So I just want to be clear on that. Um, but from my experiences and being around other pastors, this is what's behind everything. This, this militant attitude that your beliefs are, um, that, that the, your beliefs about preferences are primary. That that's, that's what's behind all of it. And, uh, I, I think that, you know, there are different waves of fundamentalism and I think that's what you're expressing here. Uh, but I would say that that attitude is what binds the whole movement together. I think it's what it means to be a fundamentalist. Um, yeah, I feel I feel deceived by the thumbnail. I'm sorry, Foff. Uh, I'm like, I mean, it's accurate. That's what I think about it. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's what that's what I was trying to do. Is just like, how can you identify people? Which ones? which ones are fundamentalists. And uh, yeah, so I think that those people who I put in there, I did I did accurately show what I thought about them. Uh, John Moore, I grew up in a fundamentalist KJV only Disby church. I'm now a reformed Baptist. That sounds great. Um, let's see. Uh, Ladasha, then they call Kent Hovind and get a cook presentation at their church if you know you know i know that name but i don't know what it means so so sorry all right seely as long as we realize that hell exists the rest of the details are less important as far as our understanding goes yes that's that's what i would say i would agree with that like you need to know that there is a looming threat that there is uh in some way an eternal threat um but you don't need to know all the particulars you know uh, in order to be saved you just don't, um, of, of that threat. You need to know the particulars of your savior. Who is that? That's coming to rescue you. Who to call? It's not ghostbusters. Um, next video doctrine of hell, <laughs> uh, maybe at some point. Um, so let's see. 
I've heard some say the 1611 KJV only, and I'm like, there's no way you've seen a 1611 and can say that, LOL. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those guys, when they're talking about King James only, they're just, they don't, they don't know. They don't know the 1611. Um, like even um, Tim Frisch, who was on the channel last week, he did an interview with a guy who was talking about the preface of the King James and like the, the authors themselves and what they intended. Like it's very clear. Like they were just coming up with a translation for the king, you know, like it wasn't like this divine mission from God to give the English speaking world, like the only Bible that they would ever need. It's ridiculous. Um, let's see female pastors. Yeah. That would fit in a different category than primaries for sure. But for fundamentalists that would not, um, yeah. Uh, genuine JC, while there are differences between primary and secondary issues, the problem arises when the secondary issues actually change your understanding of the gospel. Okay, so that can happen. That can happen, and I want to deal with that. That's a good segue, um, because I would slightly disagree with that genuine JC uh, in, in just saying that, you know, just because something can happen doesn't mean it will and doesn't mean that it should, right? And I think you would agree with that part, but I think it's important in this conversation because a lot of fundamentalists, um, I'll, I'll just give my first, all right? Let's start going through a list. Uh, I'll, I'll, like this isn't necessarily in order of importance, but you know, I asked on Twitter and on, on the channel, like what would you say, how, like how to spot a fundamentalist? And most of the answers I got were pretty funny. You can go onto my Twitter at Dean Lentini, shameless plug. But hey, it's my YouTube channel. It's literally my name. Um, but go on there and you can see uh, there was a bunch of answers and a lot of them were hilarious. Um, not very many serious ones, but I, I tried to pull together from, you know, my own thoughts, of course, but also pull from other people like what's behind that joke and like bring it in and try to deal with it. Um, so I got a lot of interaction with that and here on the channel too. And in the past when I've talked about this, cause this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. Um, but what, what genuine JC brings up is something that I think that a lot of people in the fundamentalist church, they take it to an extreme with that idea. Like can secondary issues or even third tier issues, can they impact your view of the primary of the gospel, essentially, um, that can happen, but does it always happen? No. And the fundamentalists would of course argue that it will. And, and I think that's something that separates the fundamentalists from others. Uh, a fundamentalist, one of the warning signs that you're dealing with a fundamentalist, or maybe that you are one is that you deal with hypothetical theology, that you're not really interacting with arguments. Uh, like the actual details of someone, someone says something and you interact with the details of what they just said. Like that's how you have conversations. That's how you have arguments. Fundamentalists, uh, at least one, one of the things that I've seen with fundamentalists and what I've seen other people talk about as well, uh, their, their experiences is that these fundamentalists don't want to do that. They don't want to have these interactions with the details of what you're saying. Instead, they will take it two or three steps further and they'll use an extreme version of what you just said and they'll deal with a hypothetical situation. 
they'll deal with uh, like a, a hypothetical of what you are saying, like the extreme version of it. Almost, you know, I, I'm blanking on the word, but when you go when you go to like a fair or something, and there's someone who's painting a picture of people, and it's like this really cartoony version uh, of. Uh, of yourself maybe you're like a weightlifter or something and you know all like you know what i'm talking about that like that exaggerated form uh that's what fundamentalists will do with arguments they they won't interact with the actual argument and a lot of times it's because they don't know how and i don't i don't mean to sound overly condescending but education is not something that is like really pushed in fundamentalist circles now certain places there are like one of the smartest guys I've ever met was a fundamentalist pastor. So like I'm, I'm, I'm saying there, there, there are scholars in their midst, but overall, generally, a lot of these guys haven't been to seminary. Uh, they haven't looked at the original languages and they fall into traps that maybe they could avoid had they done just a little bit more study. Now that doesn't necessarily, uh, that doesn't make it necessary for a seminary, but it does make it necessary for study. Um, but they deal with arguments in a hypothetical way. They, they go way further. They exaggerate your argument and they deal with that exaggerated form. And uh, part of that, I, I believe, is like controlling the narrative of a conversation. If, if you have a conversation with a fundamentalist, you're going to be doing a lot of listening. Those, those people, they love to have control over where the conversation is going. Uh, they don't like awkward silence. <laughs> they they don't want to think about things. Um, they they want to just go and deal with this thing and attack different things. And even if you're dealing with someone that you have a good relationship with, this has been my story of dealing with people that you have a good relationship with. You're friends with them, and you say one thing, and that sounds like like not even like even close to what I was saying about hell. I would never say that to a fundamentalist. <laughs> that would go very badly, although they're probably watching right now. Um, but <laughs> something that there's just like something there, they will jump on that. You know, they, they don't, they don't want to have back and forth. They want to explain their views. That's typical of a fundamentalist. They don't deal with arguments. They deal with hypotheticals and they use this thing, the slippery slope, Everything is a slippery slope in fundamentalism. Um, I was talking with a friend who came from the same background. Uh, we went to Bible college together and uh, we were talking about uh, some, some aspect of, you know, sanctification and uh, talking about the idea of a slippery slope. And I just referenced it and said like, oh, this is a slippery slope. And he was just like, bro. Like that is such like a thing from our past. Like, where do you see slippery slope in the Bible? You don't like if you're saved, you're saved. Like there is no slippery slope. Now there, there, there is such a thing as giving into sin and yielding yourself over to the passions of uh, our flesh and all of that. But this idea like that you could get further away from uh, believing in God like that, like that that's a thing especially coming from like a calvinist like that doesn't make sense um if you're saved you're saved um now again you can give over your like you can yield yourself to the passions of the flesh uh to the lust of the eyes all that that first peter talks about but 
uh, slippery slope theology. They just use that and say, well, if you do this, you might believe in this eventually. And if you believe in this, you might believe in this eventually. And if you believe in that, and it's like five steps from what you just said. And maybe there's not even a connection between these things, but that's, that's what fundamentalists do. They deal with hypothetical theology, not actual theology. Uh, John brings up a good point. Uh, 37 of us watching and only 13 likes. What's wrong with us? Thanks, John. I appreciate that. Uh, and he says he is alive and well. I'm very glad about that. Uh, Sarah, wow, everything you are saying, I have heard so many of these phrases. My family is still healing from going to a church like that. Yeah, uh, I, I have experienced very similar things. Um, Philip, hey man. <laughs> oh, I didn't say that right. Hey man, look up here. Pay attention now. Hey man. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's more of a southern thing. I was I was I was a Pacific Northwest kind of fundamentalist. So uh, it's still so weird that for my like I would have never claimed to be a fundamentalist, but looking at the past and the things that I was doing, my attitudes toward different things, I was very much fundamentalist, and it's kind of crazy because I was that. Like in Bible college, I brought in my iPod. I know like the Dean of men for my first Bible college started following me on Twitter. And, uh, that was, that was a little weird. Cause I was like, oh man, he's going to find out all the stuff I did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, uh, I, I brought in my iPod and I was listening to, you know, all my punk rock stuff, um, you know, hiding it away from my conservative Bible college that they were like, you can't bring in music here. Um, and so like, I was always like, I always thought I was on the, the fringe, you know, like that. I was, I wasn't a fundamentalist. They were, they were the weirdos with all the rules and legalism, not me. And then I realized that, yeah, yeah, I was, I had a lot of legalism, a lot of reasons, like no, no reasons for why I did certain things just because of what other people would think, because I wanted to look holy for different things. And that, that's, that's part of it. And that brings me into another point. So. Another point, another warning sign that you're dealing with a fundamentalist. And this is probably the thing that I heard the most, like from all different kinds of people. Um, and that is, you know, how people look <laughs> like, oh, the constant thing. I don't know how many times I should have counted, but how many times, uh, uh, specifically women were talking about denim skirts that went all the way down to the floor or cheerleaders who wore culottes or whatever they're called, like, like all this stuff about how you have to look. And part of that is their idea of sanctification, of holiness, the separation from the world. They take it that part so literally that you have to look completely different. And it's, it's interesting to me, especially being here in Western Canada, we have a lot of like Mennonites and even Hutterites and the, some of these different factions, they live on these colonies all on their own and they sew their own clothing and then they come into Walmart and you're just like, whoa, like they are very different. And that's what fundamentalists do. Like they don't sew their own clothing. Maybe, maybe they do. Um, but like they, they make, they don't make their own stuff, but they, they have this certain look that, that, that they describe as being holy, that this is what it means to, you know, be modest. And they have these rules and regulations for themselves. You know, there are pastors who say that women can't even like that. They have to wear some kind of a skirt over 
you know, their, their snow pants when they go skiing. That's a thing in fundamentalism. Like that, that's, that's an actual thing that people get taught and it's crazy. And I heard actually quite a few of those responses and it's not just about what you wear though. Like, it's kind of funny. Like we can talk about how goofy that looks or how everyone looks like they're from the eighties, which I, is that cool again? You know, (laughs) like with the mullet coming back and everything, although, you know, they won't wear mullets, but you know, a lot of them are bald by the way. I'm just saying it's something I've noticed, um, <laughs> but they, it's not just about what they wear and things like as superficial as that. Um, but you know, also what they eat, what they drink, they will not, you know, have alcohol. Now I'm not saying that you have to, but the idea that there are rules within a church or, you know, or at least expectations within a church on that issue that Paul is very clear about in Romans that they're that, you know, someone who is strong and versus someone who is weak, that we need to be able to get along and respect each other's opinions about these things that are uh, considered, at least in my mind, gray matters. Um, you know, like obviously drunkenness is, is wrong and it's a sin, but, you know, alcohol in moderation, like there are rules and regulations about that for a lot of these people. What they watch, where they watch it, you know, if you watch Stranger Things, you know, it's a slippery slope. And you watch Stranger Things, next thing you know, it's Game of Thrones. Next thing you know, it's something way worse, you know? Like, it's it's that kind of thinking. It's, it's, it's this view of holiness that you can do it. All you got to do is work hard, and you can sanctify yourself. That's essentially what it is. Like, it's not just cutting yourself off from temptations, which, again, you know, we're in the world. Jesus says it. Like you're going to deal with temptation. You're going to be here. You're, you're not going to be taken out of the world. You're going to have to learn how to overcome it. And that's actually sanctification. That's yielding to the Holy Spirit in that moment to be rid of that temptation, to overcome that temptation, not to just completely avoid it. Now, if you cannot overcome that temptation, then you run for the hills, right? Abstain from even the appearance of evil. That's the phrase that they always run to, that scripture passage that they always run to right off the bat. But we are taught to actually overcome temptation. So we should not have to like always run, but the fundamentalists will, because that's how you can do your own salvation. It's it's a Nike theology. <laughs> it is Nike theology. Just do it. You don't have to rely on the Holy Spirit. That's that's really how I view it. That's what I've experienced. And with that comes a focus on the outward. Uh, of your actions. You're holy because you don't cuss. You're holy because you don't drink, because you don't have a tattoo, because you don't uh, wear that kind of clothing for men, you know, that deep V, you know, or you look like you're a punk rocker. That's something I got quite a bit growing up. Uh, Like that, all those appearance things. It's so easy and it takes your sanctification and puts it in your hands to where you can actually do it. And you don't have to focus on the heart. You don't have to focus inward because you're not having to rely just on the Holy spirit. Like you can just do it. You can Nike this thing and just accomplish your own sanctification. And when you do that, you're forgetting about the heart and that's where sanctification happens. It doesn't happen in your hands. It doesn't happen on your clothes. It doesn't happen in your eyes. Sanctification happens in your heart. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's reliance on Him. 
And when you just take it into your own hands, you're taking away from the work of the Holy Spirit. John Adams did a great video last week about the Holy Spirit. Go watch that. That's all part of this. Um, another thing I'll, I'll say, another warning sign that you're dealing with the fundamentalists is you're dealing with someone who doesn't appreciate nuance. Um, this is something that I think is becoming more and more prevalent in evangelicalism. And I could already see, this is going to be a really long stream guys. I'm hoping with the kids behaving that I'll be able to continue this thing. I might have to break it up. We'll see. Um, but, uh, there's a lack of nuance with a lot of fundamentalists. They don't want to deal with gray stuff. They want things to be black and white. They, they want things to be absolute. Uh, so either someone is faithful or they're unfaithful, either they're godly or they're ungodly. And there's nothing in between. And, and the, like the, the problem with that, plenty of problems with that. Uh, you're not able to have conversations with people. You're not able to interact with ideas. That's also part of the whole idea of hypothetical theology for a lot of these guys. But also, like you look past things. You look past things, especially when it comes to the idea of someone being like good and faithful and godly. Like these phrases are phrases that fundamentalists just throw around about people that they don't necessarily know. Like they're not with these people and like they just throw that word. Oh, that's, that's a godly church. It's a good church, solid, solid church. You know, that pastor, he's a godly man, a man of God, like Todd Friel wants us all to be. Um, He's a fundamentalist, by the way, that one, you can, you can, you can write that one in stone. Um, <laughs> but like that idea, all right, well, when you deal with absolutes and you know that you don't want to say that the, this person is unfaithful, that they're ungodly, you go to the other side and you call them that. And then what happens when you see them on the news, right? Like we live in this world, we see it all the time. Um, I've seen it in ministries that I've been involved with where people viewed these people as godly, solid, good. You know, they, they have these absolute terms for people and they don't actually interact with them enough to know that, no, they're not, they are definitely not. And then they end up in the news story and have to do a whole bunch of, you know, covering their butts, you know, with all kinds of articles and stuff like that. It's not always the case, but it is a problem that could come up. Um, also they like part of that is like dealing with, um, logical fallacies, you know, because they don't want to have nuance in these conversations. They just start talking about things as being like, they, like, like, again, part of it is that hypothetical theology, but it's also just like, they don't want to deal with gray stuff. So when they deal with everything in black and whites, they, they can't have those arguments with people. And so they start using logical fallacies in these arguments and even in their theology. Like they use red herrings and they go ad hominem and they, they attack people and they can't actually interact with ideas because they lack the capacity to use nuance because they've trained themselves not to because nuance is compromise and you don't want to compromise. And this is the thing that I see so often. Owen Strand. Uh, Owen Strand does this all the time on Twitter. And I know a lot of people, they don't want to look up anything from Owen Strand anymore uh, on Twitter. They don't want to see that. None of my friends really do. And so I've stopped retweeting them uh, and like interacting with them. And also I think that's kind of what these, some of these people want 
is that they want to like just say things as bluntly and as abrasive as they can to offend people so that they can share it so that they can, you know, promote it. And it's a way of moving the needle. Um, but that, that's a fundamentalist trope. Like a lot of fundamentalists aren't on Twitter or if they are they're you know, they got eggs for their profile pictures, but some of these guys like Owen Strand, I would put, you know, uh, to help foff out with, you know, uh, the thumbnail, uh, I'll just say, yeah, he's a fundamentalist. I'll, I'll name one right there. Um, let's see. What are you guys, what are you guys talking about? This, I'm sorry. I'm dealing, um, I'm doing a lot of lecture today, <laughs> so I'm not interacting with all these thoughts. Um, all right. Luke, it is interesting how fundamentalism is shifting and becoming more mainstream about various political and theological topics. Yes, political is definitely something that's like at the forefront with a lot of these uh, fundamentalists. And uh, I think that's also part of like the legalism is trying to work it out into the culture and saying, oh, well, then you must agree with my preferences politically in order to be, you know, this faithful Christian. Um, and sometimes that is accurate. There are, there are political things that are very, very close to the gospel. And uh, if you disagree with some of those things, like kind of shows that, yeah, maybe some of those things have impacted that primary thing, but not all the time. Philip. <laughs> I think a huge thing is realizing that everyone, everyone, everyone has a tradition and factor in how they view scripture and understand doctrine. That's a problem until you say you don't. Absolutely. And that would be another one of my warning signs is the misunderstanding of interpretation. Uh, We all have to interpret the Bible. We all have to look at the Bible and ask, what does it say? We're all doing that. Now, for some people, they do that uh, by saying my interpretation is then what the Bible says. Uh, now, sometimes they're right. A lot of times they're right. But what happens when they're wrong? Well, they look at other people who disagree with them. And here again, it's, all, it's the same kind of idea. They expand their, their preferences and their, their uh, interpretation then becomes what the Bible actually says. They misunderstand that their interpretation is their interpretation like that there are some things that you don't actually have to like be on the same page about in order to be a christian or in order to be a faithful christian or to have fellowship a lot of these guys they break fellowship at the drop of a dime um i'll I'll get real honest you know i'm already doing some of this um but uh thanks thanks tim your your monologue is beyond carnal okay all right i see um that kind of threw me off i i knew there's there's some people who really hate watch me and i was like i got a couple dislikes here i wonder what's going on i guess one was that um where was i at that kind of threw me for a loop oh dropping uh, at a dime with fellowship and disfellowship Uh, I was told once because I was going to, uh, I was working with the North American mission board. I was thinking about planting a church. Um, 
And uh, I ended up abandoning the, that avenue of church planting um, because my mentor was like, you shouldn't. Um, but I was at the time I was thinking about going that route and I was meeting with a guy uh, who was uh, a pastor in this city that I was going to plant a church in and, you know, just to get to know him. And he was a friend of my, my mentor. And I was like, all right, I'm going to talk to this guy and get to know him, see what he's about. And, you know, maybe try to build a friendship. And so like, I wasn't excited about it. Um, not a guy that I would love to hang out with like really unpleasant. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I can be a pretty charismatic guy. Like when I'm, when I'm on, like the thing about being an introvert, maybe you understand this, like you have to flip a switch and all of a sudden, sometimes you could really, I guess in some way perform, you know, like, it's not like you're lying or exaggerating necessarily, but you're just like using a lot of effort to build a conversation and have, you know, some dialogue. And so I did that and I thought we were having a pretty good time, uh, interacting with some stuff and, uh, told him about, Oh yeah, you know, I'm looking at planting with the North American mission board. I think we're going to go that route, uh, with this church plant. And he called me a disease and said that, um, like when you go into a hospital, this was his metaphor. Uh, when you go into a hospital and, uh, you, you know, need to clean your hands. And this was before, uh, the pandemic long before, um, but it was like you, you put the antibacterial soap on your hands and, uh, you know, then you're clean and that's what I need to do with you is what he said. And I was like, you know, in that metaphor, I'm a disease and yep. And then like, that's what he said. He didn't want to have fellowship with me. Um, Okay. <laughs> because of the North American mission board. Um, but that's, that's what fundamentalists do. They, they blow up all these things to be like, all right, well, you disagree with me on my interpretation of something, or you're a part of something that I don't like. Well, you're wrong. And they expand their views. And all of a sudden you're not even like a faithful Christian anymore. You're not even someone who loves God anymore. Like these, these, they expand their views and say, all right, you're, you're doing all this stuff. So that's what fundamentalism does. Let's see. Uh, Ladasha, a lady wore dress pants to our church one Sunday. And the next Sunday there was a notice about how women wear dresses and skirts in the bulletin the next week. Yes. Very passive aggressive. <laughs> I've seen that quite a bit. Um, uh, Seely, I want to learn to sew and make my own clothes, but I really like the 18th century dresses. Hey, you know, those are in style, I guess. Um, but, you know, we don't need to look like I think one of the scripture passages that fundamentalists just like totally misinterpret is uh, that we are <laughs> we are a peculiar people, a people of his own possession, like they take that word peculiar and they think it means weird. Like they interpret it through the lens of today's meaning. And, uh, it's like, no, actually it means like, a, like an actual people, like a, like a, a specific people that were God's people is really what that means. And they go like, nope, peculiar people should think you're weird. They should think you're different. Like that's nope, <laughs> not going to find that in scripture. Like not in that way, at least. Um, 
let's see sarah i was told i could not join the choir unless i wore a long skirt yeah there's so many rules like that so many stories um uh steven anderson is the most abrasive i've seen yeah uh but i think a lot of people actually learn from him that's the thing that's a scary thing i think there's a lot of people that you know used to be like oh they were pretty solid and now they go online and they're always trying to stir up arguments. There's one thing of being controversial and dealing with controversial things. Like here on my channel, I deal with controversial things. I get that. But I don't make content to make people angry or to get a reaction. Like I, I say specific things that I actually believe that um, you know we could have dialogue back and forth about. That's one thing. But to go on just to tick people off and so that people share it and that people quote tweet, tweet it and like all that kind of stuff that ain't cool um but yeah i think a lot of people agree with that uh Seeley says i'm not a fundy i promise <laughs> i believe you um if you really want to adhere to first century church standards get either a flat top or a crew cut there you go that's what it means uh let's talk about that let's talk about history for a second because another aspect of um being a fundamentalist that you're dealing with a fundamentalist a warning sign is that they don't have any grasp of church history like almost zero like they deal with church history it's like long-term memory loss <laughs> like they they only know uh, what has happened in the last 75 years uh or i guess 1909 is when their church history starts when whenever whatever year it was that the fundamentals came out um or maybe maybe they start with Darwin, like that Darwin, like when he espoused his views of evolution, they start paying attention to history. Um, but they don't want to do church history. They don't want to go back. Uh, this is a problem even with a lot of IFB people who believe in landmarkism and uh, that, that book, The Trail of Blood and that Baptist that there have always been a remnant. That is a real thing. Like that is, that is a thing that people believe. That's not just like crazy wackadoos. Okay. Um, it's not just the guy who gets up with the King James and is like, like the whole time. It's like actual people and actual churches that you would think are normal people. And then they're like, yeah, there have always been Baptists from John the Baptist moving on. And you're just like, wait, what? Like there's nothing. And like, have you ever read like a church history book? Well, no, I read this track that my pastor's pastor gave to him. You know, like there's, it's always something like that. Hey, read this book. And it's like stapled together, bro. If like your best defense for your views comes from like a stapled together book, like that's not a good view. <laughs> like, like you need to find like actual sources, <laughs> but uh, a lot of these people, they don't, they don't do any investigating into church history. Uh, they just view things from the last like 75 years and what people, um, you know, how people have reacted and they want to talk about like the evangelical fundamentalist split, which again, wasn't that much of a split. There was some, but it wasn't like this huge, like line in the sand that everybody knew about. Like, no, like a lot of people didn't know about it. Like, but you know, maybe, maybe some did, but yeah, they don't, they don't really deal with church history. And part of that means that they're always reacting. And that's something else, a reactionary spirit. Like, because they don't know church history and they don't look into, like, 
the the heretics and the different ideologies that have come up against the church, they act like everything is new. And they're like, what are we going to do about that? And it's almost like this alarmist spirit within fundamentalism that, you know, oh, no, the emergent church, it's going to end us. It's like, no, <laughs> like the, a lot of these things are things that people have dealt with in the past. Uh, or, you know, there's uh, different political things. You know, oh, no, like persecution is coming. It's like, or persecution has like constantly been there over and over again throughout like the centuries and waves and the church has always been able to deal with it things are going to be fine even like if even if you go in and you say like okay politically i'm going to give into like this idea that persecution is coming and it's going to be everywhere like the church has survived 2000 years look into church history how do they deal with persecution it's, it's just always like this reactionary spirit and like uh, different things like the prohibition and, you know, all, all of those kind of factor into it and be like, it's just constantly reacting within fundamentalism and not really giving people, um, not really thinking through things and not looking into church history to find out maybe there's something that I could learn from these saints who have dealt with similar things but because they're always reacting. Uh, Sarah, I feel confused as to how grace has been swapped for pride and rudeness in the fundamentalist camp. So what if you are right? We are commanded to love. Maybe re, uh, maybe they redefined what love means. Yes, that's the thing. Love and truth, Sarah, and truth. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's what they always want to say, you know? Um, and the really heavy emphasis on the truth part, not so much on the love. Not so much. Um, Hebrew uh, Israelism tends to be King James Version. I don't even know what that is. I've been out of fundamentalist, fundamentalist camps for a while. I like I've heard of of some of these like different factions, but yeah, there's a lot. Um, let's see, what else do I want to deal with? Um, I kind of already dealt with this, but defensive friendships would be part of this because everything is seen as a threat and you could like, I don't want to be swayed over into worldliness. And if you on one of these things that I've deemed primary that I've expanded my borders about and said, like, this is what it means to be a good and faithful Christian. Um, if you adhere to one of those things and we disagree well, then I need to have my, my guard up with you. And all these friendships are defensive. Like, I, I honestly believe that you cannot, within most of these fundamentalist circles, you cannot have genuine friendships. Like, real, authentic, biblical friendships. I'm talking about like David and Jonathan. You cannot have that kind of a friendship within a fundamentalist circle because you always have your guard up with people because you're always ready to see the worst in people and to extrapolate their their ideas and jump to conclusions and judge them and that's why it's like all these things like you look like me you sound like me you watch the same things that i watch because we're on the exact same page and if you change even a little bit well this is you on that slippery slope going away and even like we're not talking about any like theology that's changed we're talking about just like the 
like the superficial stuff. And like there are these defensive friendships. So while you might think, oh, we have a deep friendship. Imagine what would happen if you explained doubts that you have. Let's go further than just some of those superficial things. If you actually said, I have, I have this doubt, like I'm dealing with doubting like some aspect of my faith, deconstructing in some way uh, an aspect of my faith, what would that person do? Would they just lecture you? That's not genuine friendship. Would they, would they just say, oh, well, you just have to believe, so get over it. That's not genuine friendship. What about coming alongside someone, just being with them in that moment, and yes, when they ask you to like, what do you think and give your honest feedback and all of that. But like, that's just not something that you're going to see in most fundamentalist camps. And at least maybe, maybe this is where I go out on a limb and just say what I think. I just don't think it happens because I don't see how you can always have your guard up and always be ready to like separate from people and cut people off and think the, I mean, the worst of people when they just do one thing. Like they, they, they disagree with you about one little thing and you extrapolate like these and like worst case scenarios with someone. I don't know how you can be in a loving friendship with someone when they're always ready to do that. Um, but that, that's, that might just be me and my background, my bias coming into that. But I have seen a lot of people say very similar things, especially over the last couple of years uh, of people who have gone through all the things that we've gone through in the last couple of years, I already said COVID. So the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of people came and had their deconstruction, uh, during that, that period, um, you know, because they were alone with their thoughts and you're rethinking everything, you know? Um, and, and in some ways, like in some ways I've done that, but I, I would say a lot of like this stuff and coming out of fundamentalism was before, but yeah. So a lot of people, have gone through that and they've felt like that judgment from fundamentalists and it might not have been anything big. None of my theology has changed. Um, maybe the way I talk about some of my theology has changed and, you know, for fundamentalists, that's really scary. So the, the walls go up and the drawbridge gets raised. Um, but let's see, what are you guys saying? Uh, David, though, I really like Vody Bauckham's sermons. He speaks against being kind, saying people make it the 11th commandment, but it's literally a fruit of the spirit. Yeah, that is one I, I just do not understand. Like, I think it gets back to, um, you know, what Sarah was saying about love. And that's probably what you were referring to, too. Um, but I think that for a lot of people, they they view like love and in some ways tolerance of people's ideas is like like compromise and so they just want to focus on truth and they hate like this idea of people being kind and patient and in some ways long suffering with people and figuring out where they actually are on something they jump to the worst conclusions and they say like oh this is what it means to be truthful and they're just so unkind in how they do that. And yeah, this whole thing of like the 11th commandment and that being a bad thing, like that is so unbiblical. <laughs> like, like we are literally told to like 
love people and be kind like that. Yeah. What you're saying, it's a fruit of the spirit. And I just don't understand people who would say like, that's a bad thing. Like, I, I guess if you were to talk with those people, they would probably come out and say, well, it's not a bad thing, but when you're compromising on truth for the sake of being kind, then you are as if those are contrasting ideas. Like, no, <laughs> they are not contrasting ideas. They can go together very well. And they do in the Christian life. Uh, AP, the idea that somehow God privileged English over Hebrew. Oh, gross. That's a thing. Oh, no. There, there is something. I will say fundamentalism is more prone to racism, sexism, misogyny. It's, it's, it's more prone to it because of the absolute nature of those things, I think. Because there is no nuance in those ideologies. And so it is more prone to it. Uh, I, could, I could give an example. You know what? I've already gotten myself in trouble if anyone's watching this so uh, from my past uh, uh, in those backgrounds. So I'll, I'll just share it. If I got it. If I got it, I will share it. Like This is something that was said at the same thing that, that evangelist, um, like, I'll just say, I was preaching regularly at a church with my mentor. Uh, I was supposed to take over this church. That's what we we're working toward. Um, and then this guy came in and the reaction kind of shook everything for me. Um, but yeah, so I was preaching about Calvinism and different things. I was preaching through Acts. And so it came up in Acts chapter two. Um, but then the next week, this guy came and was talking about the heresy of Calvinism like this. Let's see. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By the way, that verse ought to sound the death now forever on the heresy of Calvinism. Now that's a big deal. The heresy of Calvinism. They throw around words like heresy all the time, but uh, even racism. Listen to this. This I was told by other fundamentalists, you're reading into that. Term rock and roll means fornication. I don't want to embarrass you, but folks, it, it is an immoral thing, came from Africa, it is satanically induced, and it is sexually uh, arousing. Okay, so like, yeah, the music stuff is silly, and a lot of people, like even at this church, would not have agreed with that, but did you hear what he said? Like that it is satanic. It's from Africa and it's sexually arousing. Like these are all in the context of being bad things. Like you tell me that's not racist. Like all these, like these fundies that I brought this to, it's like this, you need to go to the pulpit. You need to say like, this was wrong, especially when it comes to me. Like I've been preaching in this church about Calvinism. He gets up and says, I'm a heretic. This needs to be dealt with. Uh, it was not dealt with, but yeah, the, the listing of those things, that's not racism. You're reading into that Dean. That's what I was told. But I, I think that a lot of, uh, fundamentalist churches, they have this leaning where they are more prone to it. Michael agrees. Wow. That is super racist. Appreciate that. Um, not that, not that, but you know, you, um, yeah, John Moore shaking my head, but this, this is what fundamentalists will do. They, well, they like his other stuff. They like his other stuff. And so they're willing to look past these kinds of things or to always read, you know, their guy. So it's, it's this weird thing about authority. 
Like if you're an authority, they will look past so much. Like they will, they will look past all kinds of failings and character flaws. But if it's on the outside, you know, or someone who's not an authority, like then it becomes like this huge thing. Uh, many of them have not read all of the institution gets Cal and get Calvin third and fourth hand, right? They've never done that. A lot of these guys don't read. Uh, I'll, like, we're, we're what an hour and 20 minutes in and like, I've already gotten some dislikes that will have kind of triggered me to be a little bit more like, you know what? I'm just going to say more of what I think then. Um, but, uh, a lot of these fundamentalists don't read. And if they do read, they're reading like, oh, this was my pastor's book or like uh, this evangelist that I know wrote this book. And you're like, did that evangelist go to any school? <laughs> like, oh, it went to Bob Jones. Went to Bob Jones. Uh, so that counts for something. Um, <laughs> showing all my cards today. Um, but that's that's what fundamentalists do. Uh, a lot of times it's, oh, I've listened. I listened to so many sermons. I've got so many sermons on tape, you know, or so many sermon CDs or maybe now, maybe that now they're finally getting to MP3s, um, but they listen to all these sermons, but they don't actually read books and they definitely don't read people that they disagree with. And like, isn't that like the definition of being in a cult of never actually interacting with things that you disagree with of running off and just hiding within your own walls? Like you got to interact with ideas. That's part of being a human being. When you cut yourself off, all of a sudden, seems pretty culty to me. Uh, I've had a guy tell me he will read no book except the Bible. I've seen so many pastors uh, who have said uh, commentaries are bad because they're impacting how you read the Bible. It's, yeah. And his theology is cut, cut. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know what that means. I'm too young. I mean, I'm too old. That's, that's, that's what I meant. <laughs> uh, did anyone see Dane Ortland's video on misconceptions of Calvinism? It was really good. Um, I think you're talking about Gavin Ortland, right? He's the one with the YouTube channel. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I saw it. I didn't, I didn't watch it. I will at some point. There is no Jesus in Calvinism. I really hope you're joking. <laughs> um, but John, I have a perfect interpretation. <laughs> All right. We're just goofing off at this point. You wrong. All right. So that's my views on fundamentalism. Uh, next week, I'm really hoping that I can uh, give you some stuff about my background of coming out of that. Like this was... I. All these guys who were on Twitter saying all kinds of awful things and people like actually listening to them is like alarming to me that they don't see that a lot of these things are fundamentalist tropes that they've given into, that they are just constantly, you know, just saying it over and over again and being hateful in how they do it. And like, I do believe that there are good and godly fundamentalists out there who are just so how, how can I put this who they, they are just so concerned about sin and so scared, I should say about sin in their life that they've put up these walls. I don't think it's a healthy way to live and I don't think it's a mature 
way to um, view your theology through that fundamentalist lens. Um, but I know that there are good and godly fundamentalists out there, um, but they do fall into a lot of these tropes, a lot of these, uh, I should say, traps uh, of not caring about history, of not actually interacting with ideas about, you know, jumping to the worst of conclusions with people and judging them and making unrealistic um expectations on people's sanctification and what that should look like for them um, and saying well if you disagree with me on my interpretation or on my preference then we cannot have fellowship is just wrong um, and you start putting yourself into this like castle that no one is able to like get past the walls and be able to like actually have interaction with you you've locked yourself in and all of a sudden you'll find yourself like what happens when you doubt that's that's the thing that a lot of fundamentalists don't understand you know at some point if you're thinking through things you're going to have doubts about fundamentalism you will and what you've what you've done and how you've interacted with other people that'll come back and it'll bite you in the butt because you'll be left there thinking through some things and not have anyone to interact with and hope like if you're honestly thinking through those things. And I think if you're reading the Bible and this isn't just to say my interpretation is correct. Um, but I think that there are definite things in, that are problematic with fundamentalism. And um, as you view those things, you won't have someone to have your back. And that's maybe the saddest thing of all, because you've pushed all those other people away who would have been, pretty close to you but they were a little different on something or they they lived a slightly different life or they had they, the way they talked about their theology was just slightly different and that was too scary for you so you pushed them away and now what happens when you question things you're all alone uh, because you can't say anything because everyone else will do the same thing that you did to that person it's it's a it's a cycle and it's 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 really just sad um, let's see, Sarah, uh, I've lost almost every single friend of mine from leaving our church. Even my closest friend will have hardly anything to do with me because I questioned John MacArthur. It hurts. Uh, Sarah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling very well, and it is very difficult. And the only thing I could tell you is to keep moving forward, keep pressing forward, keep, keep, <laughs> This sounds so corny. <laughs> Keep your heart open, Sarah. <laughs> but it's true. Like, don't don't build up walls because you got hurt. Um, there are plenty of people out there who God would love for you to have uh, a friendship with and have community with. Um, but I know that's very difficult. Uh, sometimes they do read deeply enough in their own tradition, let alone they do not read deeply enough in their own tradition, let alone others. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say just something in passing, um, <laughs> go watch under the banner of heaven, uh, for any of this kind of stuff. Now that's Mormonism different, but if you have experienced anything with fundamentalism, uh, that show will wreck you. It will disgust you, but it will also be like very familiar to you, uh, under the banner of heaven. I haven't watched the last episode um, because it hasn't come out here in Canada yet, but 
I think it comes out on Wednesday. Um, thank you for having this conversation. Gave it a like. Keep keeping on, brother. Appreciate that. AP, good chat, Dean. Way to take the heat. Good issues. Honest discussion. Um, thank you. Agreed, AP. I'm taking my time in healing. I have a God who sees me and knows me, and he is good, and he is safe. Amen. All right. I'm going to end the stream in just a second here before I do. Maybe you've, maybe you haven't hit the like button. I haven't talked about that enough. I need to talk about it more in my videos or at least put up the animation more often. Uh, but you guys are always doing a good job of liking it and all that kind of stuff and helping the channel grow. And hopefully we will continue. And, uh, oh, for anyone who is still here, I have something. I have something that I am working on. And I'm excited about, and I'm going to show you. So I've been thinking, uh, like if someone, if anyone caught my rambling of, um, uh, on the last part of, uh, my Bible rhythms video, um, I've been talking about how I want to have content every day, every weekday, uh, yeah, not weekends because nothing happens on the weekends. Like if you put a video out, I learned this slightly early on, should have learned it faster, but I didn't. <laughs> but if you put content out on the weekend, no one cares and they're not going to watch it. Um, but the weekdays, I want to have a video coming out, some kind of content coming out every week, not long form like this all the time. Um, but I've been trying to think like, what can I do? Uh, what could, what else could I do? What kind of show could I have? That would be fun for me to make. That's the main thing. Like if you're making content, it's got to be fun. Not just of people like people like it and whatever, because that's one thing. But um, like that's not going to sustain you because the numbers, they dip and they go up and sometimes they dip really far. And like, are you going to want to keep making content when they dip like that? Um, well, not if it's not something that you don't love. So I was trying to think of like, what am I passionate about? What could I make videos about that wouldn't be like very different from my normal content? And uh, a guy reached out to me, Andrew Toy. He has a podcast. Um, I think it's Life Through the Big Screen. Uh, and after my Buzz Lightyear video, he reached out to me and was like, hey, do you want to come on my show? And I had never heard of it so i looked it up and i was like oh this is pretty good stuff it's a great podcast you should go and listen to it um listen to the truth over tribe one uh about oh what was the it's not hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy it's the other one ready player one um and so i listened to that and i was like yeah i'll come on your podcast and i had such a fun time talking to him about spider-man no way home and uh, some of the different aspects of grief. I'll, I'll share it when it when he makes it live. He's dealing with some health complications. Praying for you, Andrew, if you're watching this. Um, but I was like, like days after, I was like, that was such a fun conversation. I really enjoyed that. And I was like, why can't I do that on my channel? Why can't I have more conversations like that? Deal with aspects of movies that are like... Yes, it's theology, but sometimes, you know, it's just like a, a theme in a movie. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to try it. I'm not sure exactly when the first one will come out. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. I don't know. It might be next week, but I'm doing, I'm doing this theology on film. That's, that's what I'm going to call it. It'll be like a five to six minute, hopefully not anywhere close to 10 minute video 
every week, I'm thinking of a different movie talking about some theological aspect within the movie. And so I'm just saying that's going to be coming on the channel. I don't know when exactly, but I just had way too much fun talking about that with him that I was like, I need, I need to figure out a way to bring this onto the channel. And I've been thinking about trying to add more stuff. So more stuff is coming. I'm always trying to grow the channel, always trying to like do more things. And some of that is, you know, throwing darts at a wall, seeing what sticks. So maybe, maybe I do two of these and you guys are like, this sucks. And I'm like, never doing it again, you know, but I want to try it because it was really fun having that conversation. Um, but yeah. All right. So be on the lookout for that. I don't know. Have a great rest of your Monday. Hope your week goes well. And, you know, be on the lookout for them liberals. They're everywhere. They're invading. You always have to be on your guard.